This is Digital Dots Talks in Geneva, a 15-minute podcast to give you an overview of international digital issues and the role of Geneva in shaping our digital future. This podcast is presented by the Mission of the Netherlands in Geneva and the Geneva Internet Platform. Well, Stefan, it's great to meet you today. Uh, we haven't met before, but I read a little bit about you. But for our listeners of today, can you maybe share a little bit about who you are and, and what type of work you do? And Nathalie, thank you for, um, for the invitation. It's a pleasure to be uh, in this podcast uh, today. So my name is Stéphane Dugain. I'm the Chief Executive Officer of the Cyber Peace Institute in Geneva. And uh, my background before this uh, now almost three years of uh, running this uh, humanitarian uh, entity were in uh, law enforcement. I spent more than 25 years of my career in law enforcement and most of this time uh, fighting uh, cybercrime, all type of cybercrime, and also uh, cyber terrorism and uh, illegal use of uh, technologies by terrorism. Wow. So you were actually in law enforcement. And then, of course, people think about the police in the street and maybe, yeah, big, uh, big criminals that you're, you're going after. But actually, you were already for years focusing on the digital world, right? Yes, indeed. indeed. I had the pleasure to be a chief of staff in uh, the European Cybercrime Center in Europol and then to lead the EU internet reform units which was uh, which is still uh, active in uh, countering the daesh and al-qaeda propaganda and also uh, the propaganda of right-wing extremism wow and those are names of course that our listeners would recognize but they might not be aware of what kind of threats there are you know in the digital world and we are using um and we are in the digital world every day everybody uses these new technologies can you can you tell the listeners a little bit about what kind of threats a normal person like me who just does the ordinary things on the internet what what can uh, what kind of behavior is there that that you look out for that you would want to warn us about with pleasure the uh, i mean we can always start when we discuss about threats in uh, cyberspace by um, going against a misconception like a misunderstanding almost it's like cyber Internet is not virtual at all. So nowadays, when you talk about cyber, when you think internet, you need to think access to water, access to food, access to energy, education. We saw it in uh, the midst of the pandemic that uh, cyber is equivalent to access to healthcare. And uh, now that we're in the context of a uh, aggression, an invasion, we can talk about this later, I guess, what is happening in Ukraine. Uh, cyber is equivalent to a humanitarian aid. So uh, that's really important to understand because digitization technology is at the core of critical and essential services, which means that when there's a cyber attack, this is what is attacked. It's not computer, it's not network, it's not something that is a bit like fuzzy out there. It's about critical needs that we have, water, food, education, you name it. It's actually like a door, like a real door, because through the internet, you enter into 
as you said, you have access to water, uh, you have access to your healthcare, and actually, when there is an attack, this door gets closed. So, it's it's we should indeed maybe not talk about virtual because it's real, right? It's part of our daily lives, and it gives us what we need. It is, it is, and you have this uh, insidious effect of an attack that. Um... <laughs> Okay, at the moment of the attack, you get uh, deprived of these critical services. So, for example, you cannot have access to healthcare. The hospital you were going in is on the ransomware, and you just cannot get uh, help. But on top of that, what happens next is there's a societal impact, there's a cost to it. Is that how are you going to trust uh, the healthcare sector to provide care if it's attacked again and again? On the other hand, look at the disinformation campaigns, which is a specific form of, uh, of attacks uh, in the cyberspace. It is designed for all of us not to trust digital technologies or specific services. So not only it undermines your capability to access a service, something that you need, but on top of that, it impacts your trust into the digital ecosystem. Yeah. And, you know, in the beginning, I remember I, I call myself the sandwich generation. I remember I was warning my parents, you know, the older generation on the one side that they should be careful, not opening emails that some random person says they're from a bank. And then I, I, I had my little children and they were, of course, you know, born in this digital age. But I also had to warn them that not everybody is who he or she says uh, he or she is on the internet and you have to be careful so i felt like there is there is a lot that we need to know about um, how to enter the internet how to work in this digital uh, space um, but with the fake news this got much more uh, attention but actually it was also not so easy anymore. I didn't know what to warn for because in the beginning you could see that an email was fake because you could see it from the email address. It was not trustworthy. But what can you tell us about fake news and how that entered into our lives? And maybe also in the crisis that we had, the COVID crisis, and we were so much online and we had to do follow education online. How is it infiltrating and how is it undermining what we trust and what we don't trust can you say something about that yeah with pleasure and you use a very important word here is uh, the word education so uh, let's look at your example when you're warning uh, friends family uh, colleagues about be careful don't click on the don't click on that uh, let's go back to basics so what happened for the past uh, 20 plus years when it comes to internet cyberspace and digital technologies we got used to pay taxes like insidious taxes. Like when internet was out there, there was not so much advertisement. And then we got used, you know, that when we browse around, there's advertisement popping up everywhere. Which was, we got used to it. And then we got used to our personal data taken without us giving any consent. We just got used to this. And then we got used to spam in our mailbox. We got used to that. And today, the new tax we are getting used to is cyber attacks. Is campaign of disinformation. Is the fact that when you look at a content online, they kind of accept or accepted that's okay, maybe it's not true, I have no idea, I don't know, how can I organize myself? And all of this is created like a fatigue, like, a, you know, a, um, to, to abandon your, your cognitive self-defense when it comes to accessing digital technologies. So the advice that I would, that I would give and, uh, and then the recommendation that we are doing, beyond technical implementation of solution, because technology is not going to solve technologies technological problems. It's more about this education, this, this is central for people to be like resilient 
critic to have this uh, yes cognitive self-defense because this is going to be useful against any type of cyber attacks against any campaign of disinformation and to grow skills skills of fact-checking skills of uh, being uh, careful uh, by just not forwarding something that just arrive in your mailbox and you find it's funny because you can be part of a chain of an attack this kind of reflex that in fact are not really like uh, taught uh, in you know uh, school curriculum or education uh, education setup that's something we need to look into yeah indeed and then it's it's not part of education yet because the my generation who is now the teachers <laughs> and like you you were an early adapter but a lot of us don't really know much about it we also had to learn ourselves so that indeed um is also sometimes uh, really hard my my children understand better you know, what the threats are and how you have to go about it than I do. Um, and of course, we discuss cyberbullying and those type of things. But with the fake news, I think it's very important to teach children how to critically look at what they are uh, perceiving. Um, but if we take that into the bigger world, nowadays, news sites also do fact-checking. And sometimes they show you pictures in order for you to realize that it was manipulated. And I think this also helps to um, raise awareness with the general public. Because um, maybe you can say something about the, the, the big crisis and, and how your institute works. And we have the war in Ukraine. We already mentioned COVID crisis. What is happening in those crises in your field of work? What do you see? So yes, uh, sad, uh, sad times and difficult days for sure. If you look into the two crises, quite different one with the other, of course, but look at them from the cyber angle. Uh, the pandemic, the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, at in the, in the first peak of the first wave of the COVID-19, so early 2020, we could document at least one cyber attack per day, per day against wow. healthcare capabilities. Which wow. means that you had healthcare professional trying to do whatever he could in order to save lives and then another part of professionals let's say were just busy attacking them and I mean you know if it would have been like this imagine like in March April 2020 and you would have once a day armed criminals coming into hospital breaking down all the computers stealing the personal data of all the patients and asking a ransom I'm pretty sure it would have been managed differently in the eight o'clock news. The yeah. issue is that the issue is that it's it's it, it happened exactly like this. But because it's cyber, it's kind of okay. What 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 can we just do about this? So we decided in Cyber Peace Institute to provide some practical support to the healthcare professionals at the time. We did it ourselves with our own um, analytical and uh, assistance capability. We help entity to be more resilient, to train themselves, to patch their system, and when they've been under attack, we help them to recover. But on top of that, we uh, could uh, count on the capacity of the private sector to provide volunteers very, very fast in order to help the communities in need. And then this uh, the system of having uh, volunteers from the private sector helping the most vulnerable is a system that we kept uh, beyond the COVID-19 pandemic through our program, which is called the Cyber Peace Builders Program where it is a vehicle, a very practical vehicle for uh, individuals in companies that wants to do good 
to have a direct impact on the cybersecurity of the most vulnerable. Yesterday, it was the healthcare. Today, the humanitarian sector. And I'm talking about the humanitarian sector. It's a bridge to what is happening in, in Ukraine. So since the, uh, the aggression, we decided to uh, put in place the capabilities, and you can find this on our website. It's uh, for free online to document and analyze the state of play of attacks, cyber attacks since the invasion. We are, I'm just looking at the platform now, we have 377 cyber attacks and operations since the invasion. We're talking about big attacks operation, which means more than 11 uh, campaign of attacks per week from 55, 55 different threat actors. So it shows that already in this context, the interconnection of system and the fact that about, uh, around this uh, um, war, uh, war efforts, a lot of actors can participate to cyber attacks is the worst recipe for escalation. So in this context, again, we provide pri- di- direct for free cybersecurity support to humanitarian organization. And we also use our analytical capabilities and our cyber investigation capabilities that we have within the institute to collect, analyze, document attacks for further efforts when it comes to uh, litigation, uh, documentation of what could constitute uh, war crimes or or infringement of uh, international humanitarian law. Our focus, and I will just finish with this, in the context of healthcare, or in the context of humanitarian, has always been and will always be the interests of the civilian population. What we do in the Cyber Peace Institute is to document the impacts of this attack on civilian population. Yeah. And do you think that when you document it, that later, uh, hopefully when there is accountability, that also this type of documentation can be um, can be used in in cases because you also mentioned that it comes from different threat uh, actors I think you call them is it are these criminals are these private people is it um, is it organized is it does it maybe come from states because with Ukraine I think also the listener would understand that it's probably also maybe from states that that these attacks are done. So there's a, to your question about threat actors, there's a porosity between uh, criminal groups and the groups that are all supported or backed or financed or directly uh, like controlled by states, specifically in the context of this uh, of this invasion. So what we could see that there was first operation that were happening before the invasion. So it's like, you know, this uh, in cyberspace, uh, the invasion of Ukraine did not start on the 24th of, 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 of February, clearly not. It started before no, with, with attacks, information to gather information about uh, what is going to happen in the Kinetic world, and also pre-positioning specific network in order to wipe them down at the moment of the invasion. Uh, then after the attack, you may have seen this, some criminal groups took public position for the Russian government, for example, and explaining that anyone who would uh, want to do something against Russia would be impacted by this criminal. This gives you an idea about the porosity in between uh, uh, the different interests between criminals that normally work, their intent is money, and then suddenly their intent becomes geopolitical. Yeah. And, that, and that's quite complicated to address when it comes to uh, who investigate, what type of body of law applies, uh, what kind of activities are you doing. Understanding also that this criminal group 
add an history and you can also find this on, on, on the platform that we put uh, for free documenting, for example, the attack on the healthcare or cyber incident tracer. You will see on the tracer that these groups have attacked um, as, as a plan, as a mechanic, uh, entities outside of the Russian ecosystem uh, for years. So it shows that you have a real capacity to attack that suddenly is really targeted on specific entities because of the geopolitical context. So it blurs the line in between criminal yeah. capacity and uh, political intent. Exactly. Well, I think that's maybe a really important conclusion that we would have to end this podcast with because I think our 15 minutes are gone. But it was just so, so wonderful to be able to talk to you and to understand this. And I would like to tell the listener... So it's not only about the money, but it's also about political influence and be very critical with everything you do in the so-called virtual world, because it's not virtual anymore. It is an entrance to all the things we need. And I guess that's also why healthcare and humanitarian aid are so much attacked, because they don't want these people to be served. Um, and the people need, you know, food, uh, healthcare, um, and 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 they need to drink and they need to to live. And that's actually what 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 um, what they're trying to to disclose them to close them off from. So um, so this was very important and a very wise lesson. And uh, hopefully the listener um, is now uh, better informed about what you do, who you are, and about how to make the world a better place. So thank you very much, Stefan. Thank you so much for the invitation. Be safe.